This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now remember, this is the word of the Lord, and as we read, we're remembering this is His word. Separate this from, from, from mine, and let this be His. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out for Rephabim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, that you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my, com- my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my, tre- my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, this is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Now, I think what this section is called is called the Decalogue. As we go through, um, as we go through the Ten Commandments, I think when people think of Exodus, because of all of the uh, the stories that have been told, maybe in kids' church or uh, throughout history, we kind of remember Exodus around this time where God gives the laws. There's a lot of study on the Ten Commandments. Um, But here's what I I want you to hear from me today. Because there's so much to cover, and I'm not saying this is a bad way to approach it, uh, I think some of you thought what I was going to do today is to study each one of the Ten Commandments and kind of go, here's what that means today. No, I'm not. Um, What I want to do before you leave is give you a framework to read the laws, because what's going to happen next week is Wayne is going to pick up in chapter 21, and actually I think carry to 24, and there, the laws continue to, to kind of unravel. There's more and more laws that get stacked on top of this, and, and, and what you will have a hard time doing is in studying these, if you don't get a framework or a way to read this, you'll, you'll get lost in the weeds, okay? So what I want to do is give you a perspective, if you will, on reading what we're about to go into, and maybe if you go back this week and spend some time in your RCs uh, looking at this, the Ten Commandments will give you some, some fresh insight as you look at them individually, but we will not be doing that today. There is many people who would look at the law and use it in negative connotation. Because we live, let's say, post-cross, we live in this new covenant reality, and thanks be to God we do. Can you say amen to that? We can have a tendency to look back at the old covenant laws and have a negative viewpoint, like God was rubbing their noses in their sin. Now, what we have to be careful of is, now listen, I've been happily married uh, for 21 years. I think we're going on 22. Almost, no, 21, almost 21. 
Thank you. Almost. I'm 21. I was right. 21 years. Happily married. Thanks be to God. And I'll tell you one thing. I, I love being married to Dana. I love being married to Dana. And there are uh, so many things that I can just rejoice in that I get to be in this relationship. But I, I'm going to share with you something that, that whether it's an illustration, but it's true, but it's not my finest, okay? Some of the, the great ways that I could be reminded how lucky I am is when I look at other people's marriages. I know you don't like that comparison. Yeah, I'm just being honest with you. I could sit down with somebody else and go, thank God I got to marry Dana. <laughs> I don't know how she puts up with him. And I don't know how he puts up with her. And I go, thank, thank God I don't have to be in that relationship. And I can rejoice in what I have. And I can look at that and, and kind of compare and go, wow, I am so lucky. The interesting part of that is I'll guarantee you, I know for a fact, that people look at our marriage and go, thank God. <laughs> I'm not in that relationship with him. Mostly me, and I get it, right? <laughs> Thanks be to God I'm not married to that joker. And it affirms and, and strengthens the fact that I get to be married to this guy who's so much better than they. We can look at each other and realize when we are looking from the position of our covenant into somebody else's covenant, we can come up with our own opinions about their covenant. But should it be that those in the covenant should be able to be able to go, look, this is what is working for us. Have you ever looked at one and go, I couldn't be in it, but they seem pretty happy. They seem pretty happy. I think what we have a tendency of doing is looking at old covenant through the lens of new covenant and making God out to be in the old covenant. Although it's the same God in a different covenant, we make him out to be an abusive husband in his last marriage. While we get to enjoy the cuddly God in this new one. And we look back at Old Covenant and we look at it through the lens and go, thanks God I don't have to be in that thing because he was angry. Can I just tell you this? That God is the same God in this new covenant and he is still working in loving and gracious and powerful ways as he has been since the day he created the world and as he did in this covenant of this old covenant creation. So what I, I want us to see in this covenant is that as we look back, let's not look from our vantage point and make God out to be something he's not. Here's what you need to see, and you can ho hopefully be able to see this as we look at this text. First, there's a map to grace. A map of grace. And you see this in the first two verses. If you can kind of picture the map, um, they started in Egypt, and they were supposed to go to the promised land. Now, I'll just put it up here, because this is where they were supposed to go. But then they end up in the desert of Rephidim, and this is down here in the desert of Sinai. 
Now, I want you to notice, they were supposed to be here, and they end up here. And they're complaining, uh, this is worse than Egypt. This is worse than this, and you said we were going here, and now we're here. We are in a worse place than where we started, and we are farther away from where we wanted to be. This, this, this same map you see in the person of Jesus, where he comes proclaiming, this is what I am bringing, this kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here, we are going to this place, and then he ends up with his disciples at the cross, all the way at the point of death. They started here, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they go, okay, well, just think about this. They dropped everything and followed him. He just said, follow me, as if the me was the destination. You could ask, well, where are we going, Jesus? Me. Where are we going? Are we going to this death? Where are we going? Me. Where I am. That's where you want to be. I'm the destination. So if I go to the valley of the shadow of death, you want to be there. If I go to the mountaintop, that's where you want to be. Where I am is where you want to go. Follow me, and while you're following me, I'll make you. The map of grace is difficult because there's two, four, there's two realities to the map of grace. One is where he is is where we want to be. Two is he uses this curve, if you will. Paul Miller calls it the J curve. He uses this curve where they started in Egypt and they were supposed to go to the promised land and they ended up here. This is how many of us think the map of following Jesus looks like. We compare it to the map of success. We go, God, I'm here. If I follow you, I'm going to be up here. And we get angry at God and feel like he lied to us when we end up here where they're at. Have any of you, besides myself, is there anybody who in following Jesus feel like they're farther from where they wanted to go than when they started? Is there any of us who feel like in that place, I'm actually in more pain and hurting more than when I was in Egypt. I thought we were coming out of Egypt and now we're headed to the promised land and now I'm here. You see, the reality of following Christ is as we are following him on this map of grace, you have to realize that the map of grace is far different than the map of success. So when somebody tries to sell you, follow Jesus, and they use the map of success to get you to, to Jesus, they're actually leading you on a completely different path. The path of covenant is this. Hey, uh, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, no matter where you're at, that's where I want to tell death, do us Part. The reality of the map of covenant is you're not hoping for poverty and sickness. You just know when it comes, we're together. You're not going after it. It's not like anybody's chasing poverty. It's like when we end up in that spot, here's what the riches are. 
we're there together. The J-curve is the map of grace, and you're seeing them following God into this place of the promised land, and they're following this new map. The map of grace is different. Number two is this, the order of grace. You see this in verses 4 through 6. Now, I want you to see this with me. Look at your Bibles. Verses 4 through 6, here's what he says. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt. Can you say amen to that? And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Notice the the order of grace. First is acceptance. Everybody say acceptance. Second is obedience. Say obedience. Third is blessing. Then say blessing. Now here's why this is important to us. Because not only do we not know the map of grace, the order of grace have been instilled into its creational fabric since the day God created the world. God created everything when there was nothing. (laughs) He didn't say do this and I'll create you. He did the work of creation and then gave them the world, calling them into covenant obedience and the path of blessing. Acceptance always comes before obedience. Always. Look at what he says to them. Look what I did to Egypt. And I came in like an eagle. And I swooped in, and I picked you up on eagle's wings, and I flew you out and brought you to myself. You were and are accepted. He didn't give them the law and say, if you follow this, I'll deliver you. Y'all are quiet today. You're going to make me want to talk more because you've got to get this point more than anything else. Because if you change the order of grace, you change the gospel completely. Acceptance leads to obedience and obedience leads to blessing, not Obedience leads to acceptance, and acceptance leads to blessing. The reality of this kind of order is you preaching pharisaical, legalistic gospel that tells people, yes, God loves you, but you have to do this to experience his love. Now, I'm going to tell you this. We have to slow down and spend a moment on this. Because I don't think this has been preached to you, but it doesn't mean you've been living in this reality. Because I'm going to tell you, many of you are living in fear of God's rejection because you're still living in a legalistic pattern in your life. You're operating in a spirit of fear, but God does not give a spirit of fear. Where God is at, there is fear. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Emily, you're accepted. Right now, you are accepted. You don't have to do anything to receive. Freddie, you are accepted. Susan, you're accepted. Jerome, you're accepted. And if you believed it, 
you would stop trying to earn it. You would stop trying to go after what is already yours and you would stop listening to preachers who are trying to sell you stuff that you already own. Any preacher that tries to package grace and sell it to you, don't buy it. It's already yours. He has fully paid for your acceptance. He has done the work. You are accepted. And why you are so exhausted and living in fear is because you're trying to earn what's already yours. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're accepted. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're accepted. I can tell you ain't getting it because you're still whispering it like it's not exciting that you've been accepted. Somebody just preached the gospel to you and you didn't even shout. That's good news. I am accepting. Now turn to your neighbor like you're proclaiming good news and say, you're accepted. Come on, somebody. You are accepted. You're accepted. And if you don't get that, you will not understand the covenant that follows. God picked them up on eagle's wings and brought them out and brought them to himself. They already are accepted. The law is not given to earn acceptance. The law is given to the accepted. Come on, somebody. You all got to hear this today because you've been living under this idol of, of success. You've been pursuing a different map and you've been living out of order. The order in which this covenant is established is God has done the work. Now, we've been grasping since the garden. So remember, we're always reaching for things that are already ours. What would it look like for you to stop grasping after righteousness but live from Christ's righteousness that is the foundation you stand upon? What would it look like for you to stop grasping after acceptance but live from the foundation which is your acceptance? What does it look like to stop going after things and living from? That's called fruit. Abiding in Christ bears the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace. We don't chase joy. We don't chase love. We don't chase peace. We don't chase these things. They are coming from the fruits of the abiding relationship we have already. Already purchased, already established, already done. He came in, swooped in, and picked you up on eagle's wings. Church, I, I hope that you hear me today because if you want to know what we order our services around, when Wayne and I meet, when, when all the pastors get together, we want to sing about his grace. We want to put you in gospel communities or in small groups where you sit around and not complain to each other, but preach grace to each other. <laughs> we, we want to refute any sort of teaching that would tell you you got to earn something. You must stay 
anchored in the covenant order because if you get out of order, then you will get into a place where you are trying to earn something. So I want you to confess this with me today. I want you to say this after me. I don't work for acceptance. I obey from acceptance. Say that. I don't work. Now, you can already see I'm not going to be happy with that, with that level of enthusiasm. I need a little bit. You have to work for my acceptance. You ready? Here we go. Preach it. I don't work for acceptance. Now, when you can grab the foundational reality that you are accepted, you can understand obedience. You will never understand obedience unless you first understand acceptance. You don't start with your children in telling them, obey, obey, obey. And if you do, you're not laying a foundation that they need to stand on. They have to stand on a sure foundation of acceptance. In the same manner, when we enter into a covenant we enter into a covenant early on, and many of us talk about, man, we didn't realize how hard the covenant would be. We just were in love with one another, and we just wanted to be together for the rest of our life. And so we got married, and then we got in it, and marriage was an eye-opener because I didn't realize how many things I had to do to work and to, to serve and to do all these kinds of things. And we didn't realize that when you're in true covenant and acceptance and you have fully been loved, what springs from that is I want to know you so deeply that I want to figure out how I can serve you and walk in obedience and live in such a way that honors the one that I'm in covenant with. It's interesting that he continues to call this a covenant. And here's what happens when acceptance leads to obedience, it leads to blessing. But do not mistake blessing for what the world calls blessing. Notice, it's not a worldly map. It's not a worldly order. It's also not a worldly blessing. It's a blessing that many of us are not aware of. He mentions them. And I have to do this quickly because I'm already out of preaching time. Here we go. First, and I haven't even got to my good points. You know what I'm saying? Here's what he says. What is the blessing? First is this. He said, you will be my treasured possession. You're like, well, isn't he already treasuring them? That's exactly right. You just preached back to me. Here is what this you being my treasured possession means. It means this. You are already treasured. I just enjoy my treasure when they're obeying me. Just because you have a treasure doesn't mean you get to enjoy your treasure. Notice this. You can have a kid who you already treasure. It makes it a lot easier to enjoy that treasure when they're obeying you. Can anybody say amen to that? I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm preaching to myself right now. I love you, I love you, I love you. I want you to hear it. I love you, I love you, I love you, but I'm not enjoying what's happening right now and nothing's going to change the fact that I've delivered you that I've brought you into it that I'm providing for you that I care for you let me let me remind you of how I've protected you nothing is going to change that you didn't earn it it's not going to take it away but know this if you want to live in rhythm with your father obey me if you want to enjoy the marriage you're in live in service to one another 
Because there's a difference between being in covenant and enjoying the covenant. This is what he says. Look, when you walk in obedience to me, here's the blessing. You get to live in an intimate, close relationship of enjoyment with the one you're in covenant with. How many of you know when you're out of sync with your loving father? And even though you know he loves you, you know you're not walking in step with him. And it's not about trying to earn his love back. It's trying to get back in the sink of enjoying the covenant you're already in. I'm already in covenant with you. I already love you. I already know. But something's off sync. If you've ever been in that kind of relationship, you understand that this is not about I'm going somewhere. We got to get back in sync with one another. I'm not in step, but don't ever let that mean he doesn't love me. You just got to know I got to get back in that treasuring the treasure. The next thing he says is this, if you get back, here's the other blessing. I want you to be a holy nation, meaning I'm going to put you right smack dab in the middle of all the nations. And I'm going to make you be the one in which everybody sees you will be my witnesses. To the ends of the earth. It sounds like another place, doesn't it? You will be my witnesses. Your God who loves you, who has accepted you, wants to show you off. <laughs> and you'll be my kingdom of priests. You know what that means? Sin separated everything. A kingdom of priests are a reconciling agent in the world. They're the ones bringing reconciliation to the things that have been separated in the world. They're living in the tension. They're reconciling. I wish I could preach more on that. Oh, I wish I could preach more on that. But let's go to the next step. Here's what happens when you are pouring out grace on somebody as much as God has been pouring out grace on them. There is a formula, a formalization of the covenant. If you like it, you better put a ring on it. <laughs> Who knew she could preach? You know? If you like it, you better put a ring on it. This God that we serve not only delivered you and brought you out and called you into covenant and called you to live in this blessed life, he's saying, I am committing to you and we're going to put a ring on it. We are going to formalize this covenant. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, but he's also a God who, who legally marries us. Oh, come on, somebody. He didn't just shack up with us and enjoy us and take off on us when everything. No, 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 no. He says, no, I know that you're probably going to disobey me. I know you're probably going to walk away. I know you. But, but let's get married. And this next verses, all of 19 and all of 20 is the wedding ceremony. What if you read this is a wedding ceremony. Well, then you'd read 19 rather than just scary, although there's something scary about a wedding. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> there he is. But here's what he says. Look, we're about to get married, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get ready. You should read this and study it through this lens. I want you to wash up, prepare yourself, put a good dress on. I want you to abstain from sex. 
Don't give yourself to somebody else. This is all there. And wait for the music to start playing. Because that's when the wedding's going to start. And when that happens, I'm going to show up. And we're going to make vows. And when he shows up, here's, here's the thing about him showing up. And I know, here's the hard part. We want to be in a covenant with God, but we, we struggle being in a covenant with God because we've been told all of our life that God is warm, cuddly, and fuzzy. <laughs> uh, uh, he is loving. You better believe it. But the same God who is holy, when he shows up in a place. Have you ever been in a room with somebody smarter than you? Like obviously smarter than you? Have you ever been in a room with somebody who's richer than you? Like way richer than you? Have you ever felt the insecurity of being in the room with somebody who's just way more popular than you? Who's far greater than you? Like you can't even be, you feel weird being in the same room. Can you imagine being in the presence of God who has all knowledge, all power, all riches, all glory, all honor. Could you imagine being in the presence of God? I'm going to tell you this. It's not warm and fuzzy. That's why the cross is so ugly. He is holy and pure, and righteous, and he comes in a fire, but notice this, he comes in a fire which scares them, but he also comes in a cloud which shows them, I'm not only unapproachable, but I'm approachable. Ooh. You got to think on that. Tim Keller says he's the unapproachable but approaching God. When God comes in his holiness, his fire, he has to come in his grace, the cloud. And when you understand what it's like to be in the presence of God, you understand you will never feel more loved, but you will never feel more small. You married way up. You are out of your league in this covenant. You are out of your league. And you know it. You have never been more loved and more accepted. But you know that this God who is holy and every, he is inviting you into a relationship with him. And there's something about that moment that makes the children of Israel flinch. It's the bride standing at the altar going, I want to run. There's something about getting married where you see legitimate nerves from the people standing at the altar knowing they're about to, about to make vows with one another that they're not even sure they can keep but they love each other and here's what happens I, I don't have time on this but hear me on this they're in a real relationship so here's their vows what if you looked at the ten commandments as wedding vows where he said, here's what I want in this marriage. I don't want you worshiping others. Uh, there's no healthy relationship that would be fine with you going around with somebody else. 
There's no healthy relationship that would make room for you to have the same level of intimacy with them as you do with somebody else. There's no one above me. You know what the else he said? Don't make some carved image. Don't worship a picture of me when you have me. What else? Don't speak of me as common. Don't go around and talk about me like I'm trash. I'm holy. And then you know what? I want a date day. I want a day that you just rest and spend time with me and stop working. I didn't marry you just to have a working relationship. I want to enjoy this thing. You know what? you're going to be married to me, I want to teach you how we're going to treat our family and other people. And the last five are all about how we treat others. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This, and only then will you understand the heart of the law, is when you understand what? Love. Church, I wish I had more time because God used this message this week to help me to, to see him more clearly and to celebrate the reality of what I have. But if we're honest, if we're honest, when you hear even the, the golden rule, if you will, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're honest, there's not one of you in here that say, nailed it. Let me repeat that because some of you are looking at me like, yes, I have. <laughs> I cannot read Jesus' words and feel like I've even come close to following the law. Two of them. I have not loved him with everything in me. I have not loved my neighbor as I have loved my... I have the biggest plank in my eye. Can't even see the speck in yours. I am... Not looking back at this old covenant through a, through a lens of new covenant in arrogance. I can't look back at them and go, why would they shake and quake? Why wouldn't they just go up to the mountain? What was the flinch? They said with all of their heart, we'll do it, God. I'm in. I swear, I'll be there. And they wouldn't go up. And here's what God told Moses. He said, look, I want you to act as a mediator. And I want you to go down to them. And I want you to tell them these things. And I want you to take them, my laws written on a tablet. And I want you to give it to them. And I want you to be the mediator of this covenant. Because they need a mediator. We need a mediator. 
Let's put it a different way. We have a mediator. That there is one who is with his father, seated at the right hand of his father, and his father looks at him up on that holy throne and says, like he said to Moses, go down and be the mediator of this covenant. Pay the price for every one of their sins in the ways that they have broken every law. Take it upon yourself. You be the mediator. Go down and mediate this covenant and fulfill the law. And like Moses, who was told to give them laws on stone, Jesus was told to give us something. The Spirit. To breathe his very breath into us. We have a mediator. So as we come to this table today, if you're like the children of Israel going, Pastor, I've, I've failed. I haven't been living in sync with him. and I'm, I need to obey him and I'm going to get back to doing these things. You're still living in legalistic ways. Listen to me. You will never understand obedience until you first understand acceptance. Your flinch of coming to the table is because you keep looking at yourself and your ability to the, fulfill the law, and you don't have it. The law was used as a tutor to get us to Christ. So when you come to this table today, don't flinch. Don't flinch. The mediator has come. The work has been accomplished. The law has been fulfilled. Grace has been given. We get to rejoice in a covenant. We come to the table, and like anyone who stands at the altar, we go, in sickness and in health, until death do us part, in poverty and in wealth, we're kind of crossing our fingers behind. I hope I can do that. Because here's the reality. Your relationship with God is not built upon your ability to make a vow and keep a vow. It's based upon His grace and His ability to make a promise and keep a promise. You get to rejoice at the table and drink deeply of his body and blood. And when you come to the table, don't flinch because grace is here. And if you understand that you are accepted and you drink deeply of his body and blood, it is in that place that you go. I want to follow you too. I want to know what's, what it's like to live in rhythm with you. I want to enjoy a covenant with you. And I want to obey and follow you and worship you. And I want to learn what it's like to live in step with you. I don't want to. Because there's something else on the other side of legalism. I know I'm taking a little extra time, but you have to hear this. Legalism is a heresy. But so is antinomianism. Which is this. Jesus saved you. So you can live and do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want. 
Go roll around in the mud. Go cheat on God. and go, go do whatever you want. Who cares? But this is the reality. In the covenant, you are fully accepted. And when you come into the covenant, we are in covenant with King Jesus. He is Lord of our lives, and we want to live in step with him. And it's not based upon my ability to follow him, but if I want to live the blessed life, I want to live in step with the one I'm in covenant with. I want to enjoy this covenant. I am in covenant with the king who has a better life for me than rolling around in the pigsty. So yes, you are accepted. And when you know that, you want obedience. And you also know he's given you his spirit to follow him. So when you come to the table, you know it's not built on your strength, it's built on the spirit, but you also know that your ears are open because he might start whispering things into your ears to say you're not living in the way of blessing. So you come with a soft heart because you want to sync up with him. The tables are open. Don't flinch. Come to the table and let's fellowship with him. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.